Welcome back to the Future Champions podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor, and this is part two of The Gospel According to Scotty Higgins. Now, there has been some time between part one and part two, and you may be wondering why. Well, the simple answer is that there is a Queensland state election that has just passed. And during this interview, during part two, Scotty and I talk about Clive Palmer, who is a political slash businessman in Queensland. And we may have had a bit of fun talking about him. So as I was producing it, I thought it was appropriate that we wait just a little bit longer until the state elections have passed before we show this episode. So thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoy it. Scotty Higgins is an absolute legend. He has so much knowledge and he has so much passion for football and for people. So I hope you enjoy listening to Scotty Higgins. Going back to your journey, you've you played for strikers. It was a great uh, team at that time. And then you've transitioned into Queensland Raw. What was that first year at Queensland Raw like for you? Um, look, it was exciting. The, the first year of the A-League was really exciting for myself. And, and I'm gathering a lot of players because it had became this elite professional uh, product. So we're playing at really good stadiums. Um, it was all televised. Uh, you know, we, we were getting sponsorship deals like Warren said before, you know, it wasn't a problem that I threw his boots in the freezer because, mate, he'd get another pair the next day anyway if he wanted them. Um, so it, it just it just became a, a massive step up from the old National Soccer League, like the professionalism with it all. Um, and, and like I said, it, it, was, it was testing at the start when, you know, there's players coming from all over the place and, um, you know, there's obviously people that I played with that had – Brisbane strikers that didn't get the opportunity, so they were a little bit bitter, um, and uh, it was just difficult to, you know, find that balance between mates from Brisbane strikers who, and, and personally, there was a couple there that I felt, you know, without a doubt, should have been playing in the A League, but for whatever reason, they didn't get picked up. Um, and then obviously bonding with the new team when you're talking about uh, people from from all over Australia coming into a dressing room, all of a sudden, you know, there's 24, 26 people in there that. You know, you know four or five personally and the others you've heard of or what have you. But uh, we bonded pretty well. Um, like Mooney said, I probably had a little bit to do with that, make sure that we all got on and um, organised things, you know, if it was golf days or whatever, just to just to get to know each other a bit better away from the football park. Yeah, I've spoken to Maddie Mackay and Warren Moon and a couple of other players from that uh, cohort and – Everyone says that you're the funniest person in football. Um, why is that? Oh, mate, I don't know. To be honest, I, I really don't know why. Like I love a joke and I love a prank and probably a little bit quick-witted, I suppose, but um, it's just me being me, to be honest. I'm not uh, – I, I, you know, obviously I take things semi-serious, you know. Um, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have played at the level I did if I, if I hadn't of, but I do like to see the uh, lighter side of life as well and – you know, I love love having a laugh, and um, mate, I, I just enjoyed it, mate. I just I just loved it. You know, every day going into the dressing room or what have you, or or training or, or to a game, I just absolutely loved what I was doing. Um, so that that obviously shone through in my personality, and you know, I was kind of spreading the love, I guess, and just getting everyone in the mood, and uh, yeah, tell a couple of jokes along the way, I suppose. But it wasn't just jokes, was it? I mean, there there was incidences that involved, let's say, 
uh, Matty Mackay's car ending up in a strange location. Do you want to uh, share that story? Oh yeah, it, 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 yeah. There was it wasn't just jokes. <laughs> it wasn't just jokes. There was there was pranks and yeah, you know, players would come in after training to put on their hundred and twenty dollar pair of jeans and they'd been cut off at the knees, mate. So, um, you know, there, there was payback though. Don't don't think I just got away with it all. There was definitely payback. What was the best payback? Um. Yeah, I don't know, mate. I'd have to have a real good thing about that. There was a few, like, all sorts of things turning up to games uh, away and your goalie gloves aren't in your kit bag and you're about to play a game and you're you're in a different state. Well, <laughs> you say, you know, your, your heart drops for half an hour until you start looking around the room and see a few smirks and kind of pick out who's, who's involved. Um, and normally that was – well, at the strikers, it was normally Steve Fitzsimmons, Fitzy, so he's um, – we we normally work together on our pranks, but uh, you know he he could be bought. He could definitely be bought. Yeah. Uh, so I I did bring it up before, and I'm not going to let you get away with it. Um, Manny Mackay's car. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you want? <laughs> I think I think. Do you, you want to tell me about that? Well, well, Matty was obviously a very committed footballer, so he would get there early, um, and he'd be out stretching or doing extras or whatever he needed to do. So. Um, it was easy for someone to stifle through his bag and find his car keys um, and then and then maybe move his car a suburb away or a few blocks away and then put the keys back and um, have him in a mad panic thinking his car had been stolen for however long that might be. But we, we normally stopped it when, when the police got involved. <laughs> <laughs> How important is that for a, a team for bonding but also um, – just to f- take some of that pressure off the pressure situations that you guys were in. Uh, oh, personally, I think it's massive. I, I think it's I think it's absolutely massive um, to to become a tight knit when you when you're playing a team sport. Um, you know, it, it, you have such a bond with these players, and and you know, you can sit in a dressing room before a game and look around the room and just know that. Um, you know, that you've got all of their back and obviously they've got yours, whatever's going to go down on the pitch for 90 minutes. So I think it's huge that you have that tight-knit bond and that friendship that, um, you know, you know you're going to dig a little bit deeper for certain people and, and those certain people are your teammates. And when you look at the first year of Queensland Raw, it wasn't the easiest season. It was a, a – a, there was a – I wouldn't say there were risks taken but certainly – um, the coach of the day invested into some young Queensland players, which is great. Yep. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily the start to the season that the Queensland Raw um, wanted and the coach did get a lot of criticism. How did you guys deal with that? Um, yeah, look, it was – obviously there was hiccups along the way, which any new franchise or any new club or team coming together are going to have. Um, and, and, yeah, there was definitely risks taken – uh, by Mirren in 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 terms of playing certain players, um, players that maybe weren't quite ready. But mate, to be honest, I give Mirren credit for that. Um, you know, he he gave Davey Williams his first opportunity, and um, you know that's that's something that for Davey was was pretty special. I still keep in touch with Davey and, and speak to him quite a bit. And for him to come into that environment with us in the dressing room and and what have you around the senior boys and. And then obviously debut, um, 
for Brisbane Raw at such a young age. He just feels that that kind of progress, he learned so much. Um, Dario Vitisic was another one that got an opportunity very young. But to be honest, as players, it, there was never discussions of, you know, with us saying, oh, you know, maybe he's too young, maybe he's not ready, because we knew they were ready. You know, these boys have been training with us and, and, and working hard with us and you could see that they were going to be talented footballers. It was just a matter of someone giving them the opportunity, which Mirren did. Um, and, and look, Mirren was, um, whether he did it on purpose or not, I'm not sure, but he he certainly was good at taking the spotlight off the players and off the team. So if, if there was a poor performance um, and, and, you know, maybe there's question marks around certain players, Mirren's press conferences would just divert that attention somewhere else because he'd talk about buying a washing machine or the wine glass formation that he wants to play or something like that. So, uh, he, Or he, feng shui in the change rooms. Yeah, or? we went through all that. We went through all that, yeah. So we had, um, yeah, we, we had a guy come in at one stage and, and literally ran the team. Like it, it was it was bizarre. Like he's talking, we were talking about defensive corners and stuff and this guy was a motivational speaker and he was talking about having motivational keywords when we can see the corner and, you know, just concentrate on 10-second segments at a time and what have you. But I think uh, he came in and we lost a couple of games and he was out the door pretty quick. So, <laughs> uh, But, yeah, it, 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 and again, and again, that's that's credit to Miriam for for trying things like that, you know. He, he obviously, a lot of coaches would, would, would just think, no, well, it's up to me, I'm the coach, I'm going to get us out of this rut. But Miriam... Mirren was honest enough with himself to to say, you know, well, maybe I do need some help. Maybe I do need to try things outside the box, which he certainly did. And some worked, some didn't. You saw the season out with Queensland Raw. Yep. And then you made a decision to go overseas and play football. How did you come to that decision? So I think pre-season had just started for our second year in the A-League at Raw and I'd, I'd had a two-year deal. Um, and... The Carl Dodd had gone to Romania during the first season of Raw. So he was a Raw player and then went to Romania on a deal. He ended up in Scotland at Falkirk and um, he contacted me knowing that I've got a British passport and said, um, they're looking for a goalkeeper. Would you be interested? And I said, oh, yeah, definitely. So that kind of got the um, the ball rolling. And uh, then I spoke to Falkirk management Um Nutted out a deal. I didn't have an agent. Some some of the players had agents at that time. I've never had an agent uh, throughout my career. Um, so I did the deal with Falkirk, went in and spoke to Mirren and Mirren said, well, we can't really release you until we find another goalkeeper because it was me and Tommy Willis at the time. Um, and then at the time, uh, Liam Reddy had, I think he was with Newcastle then and they'd just appointed a coach that he had a massive Barney with maybe when it was at Parramatta in the old NSL. Um, yeah, like it was just no way they could ever work together. So Liam is good friends with Fitzy and had contacted Fitzy and said, what's the go? I heard giggles might be going overseas. Can he? Can anyone speak to the Raw for me? I got. I can't play at Newcastle under this coach. Um, it's just not going to work. He's going to get rid of me. So I think I went in and spoke to Mirren and said, look, I know Liam Reddy's looking for a club. Um, and basically, Mirren said, well, if Liam comes, then I'll release you. So it, it, it pretty much took about 24 to 48 hours, and that was a done deal. And, and I signed with Falkirk and headed over to Scotland. And then Liam Reddy went on and… Still going strong. Yeah. Still going strong. He's, he's probably one of the best keepers in the league, you know. Um, really just uh, – and, and keepers do 
I think, uh, get better and mature with age. And, and I think um, when he was young, um, he, he, was, he was obviously a good goalkeeper, but he had a few distractions. Um, and then he's, he's just met his wife and had kids and stuff. And I think that's really settled him down on and off the field. And he's, he's just a really, really good, steady goalkeeper now. So you go over to Scotland, you're playing for Falkirk. It's the land of your heritage. And it started really well. It was a very good fit for you. Yeah, definitely. Look, you know, everything from, from the time I landed, the club was fantastic with me at Falkirk, you know, from, from picking me up at the airport, making sure I had accommodation, getting me in for medical testing and everything I needed to do, um, all the formalities before signing the actual contract. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really good and I loved it because obviously, like I said before, I'm a mad Celtic fan, so it was a bit of a dream come true to play in the Scottish Premier League. And and we started the season really well. We, we got some really good results and I did quite well and there was a bit of a talk uh, in the newspapers about, oh, has he played for the Socceroos? You know, is would he be willing to play for Scotland? Blah, blah, blah. But... Um, yeah, look, that that never adventurated, unfortunately. Um, but I, I didn't have to make that decision, thankfully. Uh, what would you have done? Uh, to, to be honest, I, I probably would have, if, if Scotland called me into a camp and wanted me to play for Scotland, I would have jumped at it because I was never a chance for Australia. Australia was producing some of the best goalkeepers in the world, you know, Schwarzer and uh, Big Spider. Um, and still now, like Matty Ryan and these goalkeepers coming through, like it was just never a chance of that I would ever feature in an Australian setup. I felt anyway. Yep. And and so then your journey with Falkirk started really well, but then you've you moved uh, moved away from Falkirk. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah. So, like you said, I'd, I started really well at Falkirk. Had some really good performances. Um, and then there was a game at Inverness that I um, I threw a couple in the net for Inverness, and and basically from there, like I just I was there was a line through my name. Um, I, I did come back into the squad after that and play a few games, and, and lucky enough, it was actually that game I spoke about at Celtic Park on on twenty third of December back in 06. Um, that was one of the games I did come back in for because uh, the, the, the second-choice keeper, Jerome Lambers, a Dutch fellow, got injured up at Aberdeen away and I came on at half-time and then, and then played the next three or four games. And then um, they signed Cashless Michael. He was fourth-choice at Man City, uh, so he came in on loan. Um, and, and, you know, that was, a, that was a big buzz in the sense that I'm, I'm training and Peter Schmeichel's standing 40 metres away watching his, me and his son train together, so... Bit of a buzz seeing someone like that, you know, you know, one of the greats um, that ever played in goals. So, and and obviously Kasper's gone on to be again. He's also one of the best goalkeepers in the in the Premier League now. So, he took my spot at Falkirk, but uh, obviously he uh, he he deserved it and he kicked on. And um, I ended up uh, going to Israel actually. So, going to a country that you've got this affiliation with, this passion for, and then going to. Israel, did you have any connection there? No, none at all. And and when when things went a bit sour at Falkirk, I had opportunities to go and play it. Um, uh, I think then it was a Scottish Premiership and then Championship, Scottish Championship. So I had a couple of opportunities to go and play in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, mate, to be honest, I was thinking about this the other night. I can't even remember how that came about except for uh, – well, I know that I got a phone call from a guy in Israel, but I still, to this day, don't know how he got my details or how it all happened. But he uh, 
he made an approach and said, oh, Maccabi hurts Leah, a club in the Israeli Premier League looking for a goalkeeper. Would it be something you're interested in? And at the time I spoke to my wife and I was dead against it. I was like, you know, because everything you see on the news is mm. is obviously not real nice. Um, anyway, he said, look, they'll fly you over for the weekend. Can you get permission from your club? Come and have a look at the setup um, and, I'll, and I'll show you around the city. So I got permission for the club. They, they were probably happy to get me off my books, off their books. So I went over for a weekend and had a look around, mate, and it, it was beautiful. Like Israel is an amazing country. Um, and obviously it was a Scottish winter because it was December and we went over to Israel and they showed us some accommodation on the beach. This is where you'll be living. The stadium's five minutes down the road and my wife was like, where do you sign? <laughs> she just was like, you know, fed up with the cold weather and short days in Scotland. So, um, But look, after after having a look around the club and 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 Tel Aviv and Herslia for the weekend, I went back and I made a decision to go and sign with this club. Um, and I was actually the first Australian ever to play professionally in Israel, which was pretty exciting. Um, so, yeah, so I went over there and they were, they were in a relegation battle um, and, and did okay. Uh, they stayed up and we won the Toto Cup, which was their FA Cup, I guess, or whatever it's called now in England. Um, and we won that. A so, Caribbean, Caribbean oh, yeah, Cup? Something. Some energy drink? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's madness. madness. Isn't it? It's the FA Cup. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, so that went well and then they wanted me to stay for the next season but it was a massively reduced rate um, due to the fact that, you know, they brought in myself, a, a French player and a Croatian player and I think that was the kind of their, we're going to get relegated here, we need to stay in the league. And, and once they achieved that with about three games to go, they were kind of brushing us a little bit, you know, it was, which is football, I get it. Um so, yeah, they offered me a reduced rate to stay and, and at that time we were pretty keen on having kids, me and the family, so um, we headed back to Australia. And what part of Australia did you go to? So we came back to Brisbane um, and I was back a couple of weeks and ended up signing with Adelaide United on a short-term injury cover contract because Daniel Beltrami got injured. Um, I ended up in Adelaide for about maybe almost three months, maybe ten weeks or something and um, that was a really good time and then uh, – there was talk, Frank Farina was the coach at the Raw, and I think Liam Reddy was still there. And um, I'd gone in and spoke to Frank and, and he'd kind of said, look, the club's going to go with a guy called Griffin McMaster who was a young goalkeeper who'd been at, at, at well, what is Raw? That was Queensland Lions in the local league since he was a kid. And, um, yeah, they signed Griffin and, and then I was kind of just back in the local leagues basically, so I was a bit – bit deflated there for a while but that's also when uh, me and Mooney got together and, and started coaching and I, I kind of had the sense then that maybe you know professionally that was probably my career over to be honest I, I mean I still had a burning desire to play professionally ambition but um, I wasn't so sure so took up a player coaching role with Warren Moon so he was a player coach I was a player coach at Eastern Suburbs in the in the Brisbane local league um and, and, yeah, that's that's probably my thought process was coaching then, you know, getting into into coaching. So that was probably a good stepping stone. And um, how was that experience working with Warren? Yeah, it was great. It was great. He, um, he Even then, you know, you could tell that he could, you know, we'd come in at halftime and, and he would, like I knew we'd have a problem on the left, you know, or we're getting, you know, we're getting exposed on the left-hand side defensively, blah, blah, blah. Um but he would actually know how to fix it 
or know why that's happening. He, he he would be able to say that's because they've got three in the midfield. Uh, left backs getting dragged out of position. Our centre backs pushing. Like he would, he, he could break it down. Whereas I didn't really see those things back then. I was just kind of playing. Knew we had a problem, um, but but didn't really know how to fix it and or why it was happening. Whereas he was so on the ball with that kind of tactical side of things that he would know this is why it's happening and this is how we can fix it. So I had that season with um, with with East and and there was kind of rumours and talk of Gold Coast United coming to the A League and then. That kind of snowballed into yeah they're they're in Mirren's going to be the coach and he'd made he'd made contact with me um, and just asked you know how I am what kind of shape I'm in because I do carry a bit of weight um, struggle with it my whole career but uh, that's another story as well mate I was in the fat club a few times um, so uh, yeah we we're playing at East and, and Graham Ross was appointed the goalkeeper coach down in down for Gold Coast United and we actually made it to the we were in a cup final against Peninsula and and. Um, Graham was sent to to watch me just to give a report back to Mirren to see see where I was at, and um, we lost on penalties after extra time. But lucky enough, I, I had a decent game, and um, yeah, it was it was good because I got signed with Gold Coast United. And how was that experience? Because the owner, Mister, was it uh, was Clive the owner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Clive Palmer's the owner. Of, That's right. Of, yeah, uh, Gold Coast United and. Uh, and he certainly had an influence. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, look, it, it was uh, had some really, really good aspects. I've probably never been in a better dressing room. Like the 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 like I said, you know, talking about raw and dressing rooms and having having really good banter, etc. But it was one of the best there. You know, like there was boys turning up an hour before we were due to even be there to be an hour early for training. So basically, coming in two hours early just to sit in the dressing room and. And have a laugh and have a joke and sit and have our coffee and what have you. So from from that side of things, that's you know that, that's some really really good memories. Um, and and the side we built was was frightening, mate. It was a really good side. Like there's a lot of promise. Um, the likes of Jason Kalina, Jess Van Stratton had come back from overseas to play in goals. Um, Michael Thwaite, you know Joel Porter had come back from overseas. We had we had some really good players um, and. Yeah, look, we had a great year, um, but but as you say, yeah, Clive definitely influenced things. Um, he kind of wanted to put his say on everything from what we should be doing at training to who should be playing in what positions on the weekends. To the point now where you you actually, in your contract, you have to have a conservative politician on every podcast you appear in. You've got uh, George, <laughs> George W. Bush. That's right, mate. That's right, yeah. So, it's outrageous, but here we are. Um, yeah. What's your favourite Bushism? Um no idea, mate. Sit <laughs> one there. There's there's a few there. There's a few good ones. You know, one of my hardest parts of my job is to connect Iraq with the war on terror. Well, there you go. There you go. That must my, be my favourite one. Is the question is is our children really learning? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so in the same vein as uh, Mr. Oh, Bush yeah. here, you, you've had a a very conservative almost erratic human being running your football club. Yeah, we did. We did. And um, look, you know, there was, you know, we, we were on private jets going to going to games and stuff, which was all good and well. But to be honest, when you're trying to prepare for a game and you're sitting on a runway for three hours to wait for the owner who's in a meeting to turn up to get on the plane to go to Adelaide to play a game, it, it gets a bit uh, long in the tooth, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it certainly had its benefits. We had some, some really good um, – Pre-season trips 
into Asia against quality opposition. So, you know, not a lot of A-League clubs get to do that and, and we got to do that, which was good. So things like that um, definitely benefited us. Uh, but, yeah, we, de- we definitely underachieved those first couple of years at Gold Coast United and, and only just. I think we lost away to Central Coast to, you know, that was the game to get into the grand final and we got beat 1-0 or something. So, mm. um, yeah, it, like I said, great times, great bunch of boys. Um and it's a shame we didn't win anything there. We've actually got Clive on the phone right now. So, mate, I actually ended up working for him after after Gold Coast United all went pear shaped, mate. So, whereabouts? Uh, so, I worked for his company called Waratah Coal for a while, but basically, I was just a bit of a runabout for Clive. So, when you say Clive's ringing, mate, that that sends shivers down my spine because <laughs> I, my phone would ring at ten at night, and I'd look at it, and it was Clive Palmer, and uh, yeah, it, it wasn't real good for a while there. Did he try and talk you into running for state or federal politics? Is this a trick question? <laughs> Do you know the answer to this? <laughs> so, yeah, basically uh, he, he ended up starting a uh, political party um, and he wanted to run a candidate in every seat and I ended up on the Senate ticket with uh, Glenn Lazarus and I don't even know who was – I think I was third on the ticket. Glenn was number one. So, or maybe Clive Mensick was number two on the ticket. And, and obviously Glenn got in the Senate um, and, and had a short spell at politics in there until the, uh, the double disillusion election, I think, they brought up and, and a lot of the um, miners got thrown out basically then. So he split from Clive, um, as lots of people do. Clive's got, a, got his way that he goes about business and um, some people like it or put up with it and others will just run a mile, mate. So, yeah, so Glenn and him split and I stayed working for Glenn. I was working for Glenn when he was in the Senate um, until – I got the opportunity to go and work for Brisbane Roar again. And what was that like in politics for you? That's not your background, but did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, it's definitely not my background, mate, to be honest. Uh, I, I hadn't really play, paid much attention to politics in Australia ever. Um, I, no, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a job at the time and um, it, it, was, it was probably something that I was kind of looking to get out of from – when I got into it, really, I, I, it it, didn't, it wasn't something I enjoyed. No, yeah, and and just to be clear, it's not in your contract to have George W. Bush. <laughs> just for anyone who's listening, yeah, and yeah, definitely is, not, definitely not. Yeah, if, if you're listening on the podcast, there is a beautiful picture of George W. Bush behind us at the Ramada here in Harvey Bay, and it's Bushisms too, and it's got all the great quotes from George. W. Bush. I like that one. I can only speak to myself. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe if you took some of these uh, sayings and you put it into your political campaign, you could have won. Well, that's right, mate. That's right. You know, I, I might have got a bit, bit better percentage of the vote. That's right. And and it's, I mean, it's and and again, being third on a ticket in the Senate, it's it's really nearly impossible for you to win that isn't it yeah there was there was basically no chance i was gonna i was gonna uh win a seat in the senate um but there, you know glenn obviously being a broncos player is pretty popular up there in brisbane and and even queensland even though he was a new south welshman but yeah so he he probably pulled a fair few votes and i got about seven I got my parents and my wife i think and maybe some in-laws <laughs> and yourself <You've- laughs> well, am i allowed to vote for myself i don't know if i did <laughs> Well, you probably should have. Maybe that would have got you over the line. Yeah. I doubt it. But um, and what was Glenn like to work? Yeah, with? Glenn was great, mate. You know, he, he's obviously we had a lot in common uh, in relation to sports and what have you. 
Um, so so we would um, we'd often yarn about sports and what have you. But he was good, mate. He's a good person. Um, and I'm not sure what he's doing now, to be honest. I, I know that he was um, coaching in the Queensland Cup maybe before he got into the political stuff. So I don't know if he's gone back to anything like that or not. But I know that he's – I mean, his dream job would be involved with the Broncos as like from a CEO level or something like that. So, And yeah. they, could, they could probably do with a bit of help now, to be honest. Well, that they could. It's certainly um, a hard time there for the, for the Brisbane Broncos. You don't want to see any Queensland coach suffering like that. Um, I, I want to talk about your work with. Uh, so you've 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 moved. You worked up in the the top end of Australia, yeah. and you're also involved in football up there to some degree. Yeah, and yeah. working with Indigenous young people. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah. So uh, my job took me up to to Darwin. So we relocate, relocated up there in 2018, um, and they have a thing up there every two years called the Arafura Games. Um, and that brings, uh, you know, there's teams and, and sports, all different sports, and, and teams come from all over uh, Australia, Timor, some Asian clubs, uh, Nigerian teams. So they had a, um, there was a, obviously football was part of it, and they had an Australian Indigenous team that was going to be playing in that. And uh, Jade North was uh, going to be the coach, and I was going to be his assistant during this tournament. And then, uh, Jado unfortunately couldn't make it due to work commitment, so I took the uh, the team for uh, the ten days or what it was for the tournament that it ran. We actually um, we did really well, mate. Like this again, it's our team that came together, for, and you know these these players are being picked from all over Australia. Um, some young players, a couple of senior players, and and we came into camp two days before the tournament started. And uh, we ended up making the final. Uh, we lost the final to a Darwin select team. They had a uh, or a Northern Territory select team um, that had been, you know, they'd been together a couple of months in training and what have you. And, and they were well drilled. Uh, Johnny Tamboris was the coach, so he's a former A League player. I think he played with the Fury for a bit. Um, and and they were a good side. But yeah, look, it, it was amazing to be honest. Um, we, you know, to see these young players and and get led into. Um, you know, the inner circle when it comes to culture and, and, and what they're all about and how tight-knit they are. It was it was something really special and, and, and something that I hold really close to my heart. Um, yeah, and like I spoke about earlier, you know, I, there's some players there with unbelievable talent. Um, one of our young lads actually, uh, Jackson Bullen, is now with Adelaide United Youth Team. So I played with Bruce Jidday at Gold Coast United and then... Made a few phone calls. He was playing in, in the MPL in Adelaide and got people, the right people to go and actually look at him and take notice of him. And he's, he's been caught into their youth team, which is great. And I just think it's um, important if we can create pathways for these young players um, and especially these young Indigenous players that might be out in communities and not really getting the opportunity. So you've been up there, you've seen the players. Are we missing them? Um, without a doubt. Without a doubt. There's definitely definitely talent up there that, that um, could do a job in the A-League, yeah. And, and with the right coaching and being in the right environment, oh, I think we're definitely – yeah, and, and look, e- even if you've got scouts and what have you in this area, there's always going to be certain players that slip through the cracks that you miss out on. But um, I, I definitely think that that we're missing, yeah, a good chunk of, of talented footballers. What, what uh, advice would you give a young footballer – um, 
so a young footballer, for, for professional young footballers, so I'll start with professional young footballers. Like like I said, I worked at Raw for a while there as a, as a football manager to Johnny Aloisi and, um, you know, had a really close relationship with the players. That was part of my role. Um, and, and, you know, the likes of players like Corey Brown who are young and, and uh, Dane Ingham and, and, and uh, D'Agostino and some of these young players. And, and my advice to them, to be honest, was, you know, just enjoy it. In, enjoy enjoy what you do. Um, make sure you come into training, uh, obviously ready to work, but make sure you're enjoying yourself. And, you know, these, these are times that, that won't last forever and, and they can in, in any sport. They can be taken away from you very quickly. So I think that's an important one for young professional players that, you know, get into an environment and, and, and think that um, – they're going to be in it for the next 10, 15 years or what have you and and maybe sometimes go through the motions or aren't so happy with what's going on or what have you. But I just think, um, you know, they've really got to take a step back and just look at what they're doing and, and there'd be a million kids out there that would would give anything to be in their position. So I think it's just really about um, just in, enjoying what they're doing, you know. Like it's, it, it, it's hard, you know, because young players, they do take things on board a little bit harder maybe you know when they're getting criticized in the press or commentators are saying certain things about them you know or, or coaches are coming down on them hard but um and, and of course it's important to listen to that but you know you can't let that control your world and, and and get down and depressed about it because you know you're there doing the job and only them can get themselves out of it so i think i think definitely you know enjoying it and um it, lots of old cliches mate like working hard obviously but you, you've got to be borderline obsessed to be honest, and you don't hear the word obsession much anymore. You know, I I, I went to a coaching conference uh, that Pat Hedges ran actually uh, maybe a year and a half ago, and you know they talk about and Pat Hedges is what was the Football Queensland Youth Talent Development yep. Officer yep. for boys. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So they they talk about um, things things you know there was words about like desire and want and 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 hungry and and what have you and. He kind of went around the room and he, he kind of said, who, you know, is there anything else that people, you know, that you see around locally? And, and I actually put my hand up, you know, there's a room, maybe 50, 60 people. And I said, mate, I, I never hear the word obsession. I never hear players being obsessed or, um, you know, I hear want and desire and all that, but you really do have to be borderline obsessed, mate. Like you've got to, to become a professional athlete, you, you've got to, you've got to feel your legs burn, you know, you've got to, be in games and go into tackles that you don't want to go into or you shouldn't go into or you don't deserve to go into that tackle and win, a, win the ball. Um, yeah, like it ta- you've got to be brave. You've got to be brave and you've got to be borderline obsessed. It's, it's, got, to, it's got to mean something to you, you know. And, and I look around some days and, you know, when I was spending some time down at Brisbane City and they got knocked out of the FA Cup when John Cosmina was coaching by a, a team that was two divisions lower than them and, and after the game, like they're, they're all around having a pizza and a beer and having a laugh about it and, like I said, you gotta you gotta obviously enjoy yourself as well, but you it's gotta hurt. You, you know, it's gotta hurt for these young players. And I just I, I remember that I remember that moment and seeing that. And I was an ex Brisbane City player, and and you know, and and went on to be a professional. It just I, I just didn't see any hurt or pain. That it, it just did not bother them at all. That they'd just been dumped out of the the FA Cup by a team two divisions below them. Mm. So and, and for young kids, mate, like when you're talking about young kids in the community and stuff and and what advice I'd give it, it would just be to it just be to try to learn every day try to be every training session you go to try to be better than the last one 
um, and and just take on board what people are trying to tell you or people that are trying to help you, you know, like coaches, like I said, coaches can come down on you in different ways, mate. They can give you a pat on the back and tell you everything's all right. But, you know, you, you need you, you need a bit of resilience. You need to be told sometimes when you're not doing the right thing because a coach telling you that's only going to benefit you if you go and change that and make sure you're doing the right thing next time. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think a big thing for kids or young kids or, you know, anyone to be honest is is you just got to be better than the last time you're out on the training park and just improve and improve and improve with i, I, I want to go back a, a little bit and ask you how it felt after playing football and starting in brisbane starting with the strikers and then going to queensland raw to then come back as as a coach or assistant coach and coach the team that you were one of the um, inaugural players for. How did that feel? Yeah, look, I, I didn't get to coach um, at Brisbane Raw, but I, like I said, I worked as a, as a football manager for Johnny Aloisi and, and Craig Moore was the technical director. Um, and and part of my role was obviously basically being in the dressing room with the boys, um, making sure everything was okay from a player point of view and what have you. And, and yeah, like it, it was amazing, mate. I, I loved every minute of it. I really did. Um, yeah, and again, I think that's really important that, you know, and, and that's something that rugby league do really well. We are talking about rugby league and rugby union before. I think they really include ex-players um, in things, you know, and not and not, not a free-for-all where every ex-player comes in and does something, but I think there's definitely could be more of it in, in soccer in Australia or football in Australia because, yeah, like I'd been at that club, um, you know, like you said, when it got stood up and, and loved it, you know, and still do today. And, you know, I only want the best for them. And, and to go back and work for them, it was pretty special. Um, obviously coaching or once your playing career finishes and, you know, there's a big hole where, you know, your playing used to be and, and, and football and stuff, it's, it's, it was pretty special to go back and work back in that environment and have that, you know, that kind of tight-knit uh, relationship with all those players. And then obviously – um, the coaching staff and that. So, that, and, that, and that's probably something that um, players that do become coaches or, or become managerial roles like myself, it, there's also a fine line as well. You know, there's, it's a hard one, mate, because I have been such a prankster and a jokester and want to be around the players and have a laugh. But there was a certain time that I had to go, okay, well, your players, I actually work for John and the coaching staff, the football department. So, it's kind of that fine line and getting that balance right. But, um, yeah, it, it worked there. It was it was pretty good um, for a while there. But you know they've they've had their their struggles raw that has you know plays out in the media and what have you. So yeah, at the time when I moved on, I got an opportunity uh, for a job that I'd been going for for a while that I couldn't really refuse. But it's not to say I don't miss it. You know, I, I, I definitely miss it. Um, so you're a professional fisherman now, is that right? Uh, not quite, mate. Not quite. No. <laughs> Do you want to tell us what you're doing now? Uh, so I took a job with Australian Border Force, um, and yeah, that's what I said, fisherman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Australian Border Fisherman. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, and and actually moved up to the top end in Darwin, and and was working part of a, like a mobile deployment team up there that looked after aviation, cargo, and and, and maritime situations. And then was lucky enough to win a job in the Australian Border Force Marine Unit. So um, now I work uh, out at sea. So uh, I'm out at sea every other month and um, just spending time out there. Yeah, look, and, and again, it's 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 
probably a perfect job for me in the sense that, again, it's a tight-knit little team. We're a team of crew that go out on these these vessels and um, man the vessels. So um, it's definitely a good fit for me coming from, you know, team environment my whole life. So it's, it's, it's really enjoyable. It's something I really enjoy doing and pretty passionate for. But like I said, I do miss my football. Um, so, yeah, who knows? I, I'm sure I'll get back involved in football in some sense at some stage. And I think uh, football will be better for it. So thank you so much for your time. And we've, we've spent a bit of time. We've had a no, few, good, few technical issues. I, I, I'm going to put that down to uh, that George W. Bush is looking over That's our shoulder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done an interview with George no, W. Bush. No, looking over us. There's a few famous people around the room actually looking over us. Yeah, yeah, that's but, right. Um, yeah, mate, no, it's been a pleasure. It's been good, mate. And, uh, yeah, I love talking about football and, and, and all things football, so it's been enjoyable. Thank you so much for joining us for the Future Champions podcast, part two of The Gospel According to Scotty Higgins. I had an absolute blast interviewing Scotty, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to find more of my interviews, you can go to www.intentsport.com or you can look up Intent Sport on Facebook. Once again, thank you for joining us and stay safe. You, you're there, Clive? Clive, you there? <laughs> Oh, mate, don't you give me the sweats. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. No worries, mate. Thanks. <laughs>